Okay, I'm glad you're here. And uh, uh, lots to talk about. I, uh, I took this um, trip to South Africa, and, and I want to tell you about it. Um, the, just, to, just to give you just a, a, a slight preview, um, someone asked me what, uh, what, 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 the, what, what the highlight of the trip was. And, and I, I, I said just right away, surviving. So, so that'll give you an intimation of, of what's coming. But uh, it's a little bit of a roller coaster, but, but, but here we go. So, so I got an email kind of out of the blue uh, in, inviting me uh, to, to speak in, in South Africa by, from the chief rabbi of South Africa an amazing man who's doing unbelievable work there. Um, and uh, they, they have a, an annual kind of Torah convention called Sinai Indaba. Indaba is a, I'm not sure if it's Swahili or Af Afrikaans or, or whatever it is, but it means gathering. So it's a, it's a huge gathering and, and there, are, there are thousands of people who come. So, so this year there were, I think there were more than 5,000 people uh, in attendance. And it, it's in Johannesburg, and that's the main one. And then there's a, um, another one in Cape Town um, with the same group of speakers, and, but it's, it's much smaller because the, the main population down there is in Johannesburg. So, um, so I, I arranged to go, and, and it was going to be under every circumstance a, a whirlwind trip because it's about something like 30 hours getting down there. Now that's factoring in all the time changes because there are a lot of time changes. So we're talking about going from we're talking about going from Los Angeles all the way down to South Africa, and that's in two legs. That's a that's an 11-hour flight to to a Heathrow uh, Airport in in London, and then another 11-hour trip from there to uh, to Johannesburg, and um, with a little with a little uh, uh, layover, and. Um, and then coming back, the trip is actually shorter. It's, it's something like 20 hours or something like that because all the time changes are working for you. So the idea was to leave Thursday night and to come back Tuesday morning or Wednesday night and then Tuesday morning. And Wednesday, if I left LA Tuesday, uh, Wednesday night, that got me there Friday morning. So that, that was the idea anyway. And then um, Cape uh, Johannesburg would be Friday, Shabbos, Sunday. And then Cape Town would be Monday and then you leave Monday night from Cape Town, and then arrive back in LA on Tuesday. That was the plan. Okay. So, so anyway, I got on my uh, I got to LAX, and um, and and my son was 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 to meet me in uh, went early, and my son was going to meet me um, in Johannesburg, and he was going to stay with some friends, and we'd spend Shabbos together and do the conference together. So I got. Uh, I got to Heathrow to, in London, and uh, I, I was there in time for my connecting flight, hours early for my connecting flight, and you, you have to picture, this is one of the biggest airports in the world. There's a massive, massive uh, electronic board with all of the flights that are coming in and going, and you know, cities all over the world, and I remember looking at it and I remember consciously thinking, really pay attention because there's a lot of information up there mm -hmm. and you've really got to read this correctly. And I looked very carefully and I saw Johannesburg and it was the only listing for Johannesburg. I saw the time, I was like, okay, that's good. It's a few hours. So I went to um, 
the terminal where they have like all of the stores and everything like that. And I opened up my computer and I was doing uh, work because I, I had a lot of work to do. And, um, you know, just going through a, a cut of a show and making notes, detailed notes and emailing and all the rest. And then at a certain point, I was like, uh, all right, well, listen, I've got to, uh, I've got to double check. I got to double check because, you know, it feels like a, a while already, you know. So I go back to the board and I look up at the board and I remember on the left quadrant, the left side of the board, was the only place that I saw Johannesburg, right? Like it had moved. And the color of the lights was darker, right? Which gave me like a weird feeling because I was thinking something's a little bit wrong because why is three quarters or even seven eighths of the board in bright lights and the only place where I see Johannesburg is in darker lights? Like it was a little bit strange, but nonetheless it said Johannesburg and it had the time for the flight. I was like, okay, so that's the time for the flight. So I went back to doing work. Then I said, okay, well, you know, it's time to already get to the gate, which was in another building. So I go to the gate and they haven't started boarding yet. And I'm thinking, okay, well, look, you know, sometimes you have like a middle seat and, you know, you can change it for an aisle seat or a window seat, you know, something a little bit more comfortable. So like I say, I got to the gate, they haven't started boarding yet. I go up to the, the, the woman at the ticket counter and I say to her, listen, um, you know, uh, maybe I can switch my seat. And she says, oh, no problem. We have plenty of empty seats. I said, great. She says, but we need your boarding pass. I said, okay, so here's, here it is. So she takes my boarding pass and she puts it in and she says, oh, you were on the last flight. You're, you're not on this flight. And I said, well, that's okay, because you just said we have, you have plenty of empty seats. She says, the flight is closed. And that was it. It was a brick wall came down, and there was no ifs, ands, or buts. They hadn't even started boarding the flight yet. They told me there were empty seats on the flight. Granted, it was my mistake, 100%. I take responsibility. But that was the last flight that got me to the conference. There was no other way for me to get to Johannesburg. And I summoned every ounce of strength and every argument I could conceivably think of. I couldn't get on the flight. I would have made any connection anywhere in the world. I would have traveled double or triple the amount of time. Whatever it took to get there on time, I couldn't do it. And what complicated it further was the fact that we're talking about two hemispheres right now. Uh, Shabbos goes out very, very late in London. It, it, it ended at t around 10.30 at night. And the last flights out are at 10 o'clock. So you can't get a flight. It, you miss all your flights. And then in the southern hemisphere, Shabbos comes in super early because it's, even though it's summer for us in the northern hemisphere, it's winter for them. So Shabbos comes in super early then. So you couldn't, if I flew Friday morning, you, you couldn't get there. So it was this, this whole perfect storm of just like, it's just not, of, of not happening. <laughs> just like not happening. And, you know, I'm trying to talk to, you know, I'm, I'm obviously devastated. I, I mean, just to give you an idea of, of how much 
amazing work and planning the, uh, the people put into planning this conference. I mean, someone from Los Angeles who's uh, from South Africa called me up. He had, he had visited South Africa and he called me up and he said, you can't even believe how much they're advertising this thing. Your face is on cars there. Wow. And I was like, wow. cars? He said, cars. I said, cars? You know, because I'm picturing like here, you know, in LA anyway, they put movie ads on buses. They shrink wrap buses, you know? So I figured maybe they did that with a car. He said, cars. I said, C-A-R-S? He said, C-A-R-D-S. And I was like, oh, okay. Cards, yeah. There are cards in the shoes around, you know? It's like, oh, okay. So, but anyway... There actually were billboards, and my son saw them, not, not just with my face, but with the, the faces of the speakers. They had actual billboards around town, and, and, and banners, and everything like that. And like I said, thousands of people were in attendance. So, so it was a very, very big deal, you know, and, and I, I, I felt, you know, ab- absolutely horrible. So, so, now you have to picture this, because because um, Heathrow Airport is a massive, massive place. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, like football stadium size, you know, venues type of thing. And it's, 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 it's absolutely emptying out and no one is even working there anymore. And it's like, I'm like all alone, basically, in these vast spaces with just like a couple of people polishing the floors, you know? And, and finally I get to this one person and, and, and they, it seems like maybe they're going to help me, you know, reroute my flight and they're working behind the counter. And then the person who's sort of the gatekeeper there says, oh, no, 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 they're with a customer now, but then it's quitting time for them. So you can't talk to them. And I'm like trying to explain how desperate I am. And they're like, no, 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 no. But what you can do is you can go to zone C. So there, that, that, will be, that will be okay for you. And there's someone who works there around, basically around the clock. And, and just go there, and I'll be there, actually. So you don't have to worry. So in order to get to Zone C, you have to understand, I couldn't even leave the airport. Because that involves emigrating or getting a visa to, to England. Because I wasn't scheduled to go to England. So I actually had to fill out a, a form and go through customs. And that was like a super long line just to leave the airport. And then finally I find myself in zone C. And now this is truly a massive place. And it's like, I kept on thinking of like the opening of Brachis where it talks about the astonishing void wow. that existed at the beginning you know, of the world. Wow. I mean, it was like, it was like huge amounts of nothingness and like little me standing on this like, you know, little patch of something, you know? And I finally find my way to zone C, which was like a whole journey in itself. Now, you have to picture this. You know how, you know, you wait online to check in and there are people who are all there checking you in. So you had like a thing that was like, there must have been 21 stalls, you know, like computer terminals. And it stretched from, it was like an entire city block. That's how long it was. Not a single person at any one of them. Not a single person at any one of them. And it's like, 
this woman who wouldn't have let me talk to that last person who was like the last person sort of booking flights and who promised me that she would be there, she wasn't there. And there was like this tiny little folding chair. So I'm sitting in the middle of like this, like this city block full of like empty stalls on this little folding chair, just like, just waiting, you know? And it's like, ah. So I had to make the call to the person who had been my contact person, who turned out to be just a, 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 an angel, you know? And she was working for the chief rabbi in, in, in South Africa and had been my contact throughout the process of, of trying to get there. And I had to tell her, I said, you know, it's, it, it's not happening, you know. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe I should just go back to South Africa. Or maybe I should just go back to Los Angeles. And she was like, yeah, well, maybe you should, you know. And it was like, that was like, wow, you know. She said, I really have to talk to the chief rabbi and to figure out, like, what the plan is, you know, whether whether it's worth just coming for the Cape Town leg, because it was going to be, you know, a lot just to get to, to, to that part even. So she said, well, look, I'm going to, where are you going to, where are you going to sleep? And I was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll just sleep in the airport, you know, I mean, I just... And she said, well, I'm going to try to find you a place. There's this unbelievable rabbi in Rebetzin, and, you know, they always take everyone, and uh, let, me, let me contact them. So she calls me back and says, yeah, they, they haven't got any space. <laughs> and it's like, it's like I went from, like, you know, I want to say I went from lower to lowest, but there was a lot more sinking left to be done, so I want to preserve the term lowest for, for later on in the story. So, um, so, so she said, but they're, but they're calling people. And so then, then she calls me back and she says, okay, we, we, we found someone, but um, so here's the address. And I didn't have a pen on me. And I remember going, and I know that there were something like 20 terminals because I figured someone left a pen there. I went from one really side of a city block to the other side of the city block looking just for a pen. And it's like I finally found one, like one pen in all these, this whole thing. And I wrote down like the address and then I went outside and I took one snapshot, which was just like this, basically this empty parking lot and the moon in the sky. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I just want to remember this moment, you know? And so I've, I haven't even looked at it because it's like, I think it's going to be too painful to like look at like this, this, like just this moon in the black sky, you know? But there it was. And I saw a cab and I, I walked up to the cab and, you know, you know, I know just growing up in New York and hearing stories, you know, growing up and everything like that, if you're a visitor in a in a foreign city, especially if you're getting in at the airport, you don't just get into the cab. You have to figure out exactly how much it costs. You know, otherwise you're just inviting yourself to get ripped off. You know, so I asked and everything like that. And they said, no, 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 we're going by the meter. We're going by the meter. And I was like, okay, well, if you're going by the meter, that's that that should be okay. So it's a long ride, and when we get to the place, he says, well, you know, that'll be hundred and sixty dollars. Wow. And I was like. 
you know, there was no fighting it. That that was what the cost was. I was like, yeah. So I gave the the credit card and um, and uh, and I walked into the place and it was like, you know, just it's a very homey, you know, place. It was a man and 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 his wife and their like baby. It, by the way, it's like past midnight at this point, you know. And I don't have my suitcase, and without my suitcase, I just have my like my carry-on. So I don't have any clothes or any any toiletries or anything like that. And it's um, I walk in, and you know they 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 greet me, and I imagine in my head just because I'm in such a you know drama place at this point that they know everything that's going on, and it's like. You know, I thanked them for putting me up, and I was like, so I, I guess you know, I guess you heard, right? They were like, no. And like, you don't know anything? You don't, you, you don't know, like, they're like, no. They don't know my name. They don't know where I'm coming from. They don't know where I'm going to. All they know is that there was a Jew who was stranded at an airport, and they're Jewish, and they're going to help this family member. And it was an amazing moment of pride that I think we can all take part of, just the idea that, that we're really one family. And here you really saw it in, 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 in perfect evidence. They knew nothing. All they knew was that I was stuck and I needed help. And that was it. And they opened up their home. And, um, you know, they offered me something to eat, whatever. I wasn't hungry. I had zero appetite. And uh, and then they showed me a room where I could, where they had taken their children out because they had heard. And so, so they had cleared out their children's room, you know, which means, by the way, that their children, having children myself, allowed themselves to be moved into another room. You know what I mean? You know, kids have to be part of that, which means they've been raised in this way, which is, you know, doubly amazing, you know? And, you know, just lay down on the bed, basically. And I just went back to work. I had, like, a lot of work to do from, from Los Angeles still. Opened up my computer, and I just started doing work and, you know, making calls and uh, arranging for my flight back to Los Angeles. And I, they said that they would let me know uh, the next day whether, um, whether the South Africa part was happening at all. And uh, I just kind of continued to work. Um, and then my computer ran out of batteries, and then my phone ran out of batteries, and I didn't have the charger. And so that was the end. And it was four in the morning, and I heard the birds starting to chirp outside the window. And I thought, well, I had arranged with the host to go to uh, Dominion at 7, so it was 4, so I figured, well, I should get some sleep. And I closed my eyes, and, you know, I had gone from just like, just total despair and guilt, whatever, into numbness. And then when I tried to go to sleep, then really like the, the hammer came down, you know? And I just heard just this horrible accusations 
in my head, just mm. careless and stupid and negligent and how could you and just horribleness. And I just opened my eyes and I said, you know, there is no chance that I'm going to be able to go to sleep. And then I thought, no matter what, I'm still a Jew. And no matter what, God still loves me. And then I promise you, I was asleep like 15 seconds later. You know? And uh, woke up, went to Minion, and then got, uh, got some charger converters, our host arranged for it, and, um, you know, recharged my stuff, and then had him drop me off at uh, the Jewish Learning Exchange, which is a, a big Torah center in London on Golders Green, which is like our Pico Boulevard. That's kind of like one of the Jewish centers there. That's where, like, most of the restaurants and Jewish stores are and things like that. So they're right, right there on the, on the boulevard there. And I went to the Dafyomi there, and then they were kind enough to let me just sort of hang out there. So I was able to have like, kind of like a, an office in a way, you know, it was just like an empty conference room, but I was able to, you know, kind of try to coordinate what was going to, what was going to happen. And um, they wrote back and they said, okay, we still want you to come to Cape Town. So then that meant that, that I was going to be in uh, London for Shabbos. Right, and so, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of just trying to figure out that. And they said, okay, they were coordinating, and it was amazing. Like people from Los Angeles and New York and London and South Africa were all trying to coordinate, you know, my 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 time in London and figure out, you know, like how they could help and everything like that. Just an unbelievable outpouring. And they said, okay, you're going to be staying at this place, and that's what it's going to be. And then I got another email and they said, no, 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 you're going to be staying at another place. Because in London, right now, this Friday night, they're having a dinner with like 300 young professionals and they want you to speak there. <laughs> right? So, you know, and I was like, all right. And they said, but it's going to be an eight mile walk from where you're staying. <laughs> It's like, all right, all right, you know, it's like, you know, at this point, it's like, whatever, whatever I can do at this point, I will do. And then they write back and they say, no, 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 we got you another place, which is like around the corner, basically, from the hotel where the dinner is. So it's like, all right, okay, that's, that's what it is. And then, and then you're going to speak at the Jewish Learning Exchange for, for third meal, for Shalashidas. Okay, so... So I figured, you know what, I got to, um, like I said, I just had basically more or less what I'm wearing now, like a black t-shirt, a jacket, some jeans, and, and I was going into Shabbos. And Shabbos, you know, one of the ways that we take on Shabbos is to wear something specially for Shabbos. And whatever you wear, like whatever your style is, just you should have something that's just for Shabbos, basically. In other words, whether it's a suit or whether it's jeans, whatever it is, those are your Shabbos jeans or those are your, that's your suit for Shabbos, whatever it is, just something special for Shabbos. So I, I, I didn't want to go into Shabbos just in my, like, just like this. I, I wouldn't feel like I mentioned, I wouldn't feel like I'm taking on Shabbos. 
so like I said, this 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 Golders Green, the 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 the, the flavor of the neighborhood, it's it's a little like the Lower East Side in New York. It's got kind of that kind of vibe, and there's a clothing store there, and so I figured, okay, look, let me just buy a white shirt, okay. Um, you know, it's funny, I never used to wear white shirts on Shabbos, but when I got married, my mother-in-law, who is from, who is from Poland, uh, uh, so from Rimenov, you know, uh, which was, you know, an amazing thing, because the, the first Hasidic story I remember hearing from Reb Shlomo when I was a boy was about the Rimenov Rebbe. And so I, I, I married the daughter of a woman from Rimenov, which was, you know, like very amazing to me, you know. So, so I asked her, I had gotten this new shirt, and it, it had like fancy stripes on it, and I asked her if she liked it, and she said, I prefer white. And then, from then on, I only wore white. <laughs> it's like, I remember... When I first got married, my, my father-in-law, who is from Tamashov, which is the birthplace of the Kutzker Rebbe, right? So, so he, asked, he, he asked how our Shabbos was, or maybe it was before Shabbos started. He said, Did, are you having fish for Shabbos? I said, no. He said, he said, my uncle risked his life in World War II, risked his life in order to make sure that he had fish on Shabbos. <laughs> After that, it's fish on Shabbos, <laughs> you know. Man. You know. So, anyway, so um, so I go into the store and I, I try to buy a white shirt, and it's this really old timey guy, tons of personality, like a total sweetheart, you know. And he finds a, a, a white shirt for me, and then I say, okay, I'll, I'll get that one. And then he puts his hand on my shoulder and he looks me in the eye and he says you know, in his, like, sort of cockney accent, he says, now that I've sold you a shirt, can't I sell you a suit to go with it? <laughs> and he's like, no obligation, no obligation, just you try on a couple of things, you know? So I bought a suit. <laughs> and then he said, he said, now can't I buy you a tie to go with that? <laughs> so I bought the tie. And then, I kid you not, I'm not making this up, I walk out onto the street, and someone who I haven't seen before walks up to me and says, now that you've bought a suit, <laughs> can't I sell you some shoes? <laughs> I promise you. So I bought some shoes. <laughs> and it's like, all right, now I'm, I'm ready for Shabbos. And um, I found a, a Judaica store. I figured, okay, so I'm going to my host's house, so I remember I walked into this little grocery store and they had some wine, but you know, I think this was like a fancy place. I was told that this was a, a fancy place, so none of the wine looked especially fancy. I thought, well, you know, whatever I give them, they're going to have better than that. So I walked in, I, I remember there was a Judaica store, so I bought them some uh, a, a nice book, a nice safer. And then uh, there's a mikvah close by, so I was able to go to the mikvah, and then um, uh, they pick me up and they take me to the place. And, and one of the things that they had arranged was that um, w one of the sort of the main gatherings was going to be Saturday night, which obviously I was going to miss. And they said, look, we're going to send a cameraman to where you're staying and they'll film you and then they'll send it down to Johannesburg and they'll be able to show it for the conference. Now what it was was the the Saturday night program, which was, I was told, attended by 
either four and a half thousand or five thousand people were there for that. So, and the Maccabees started off, and then the chief rabbi spoke, and then they had just a few of the speakers, like four of the speakers, speaking on the subject, 12 minutes each, what I value most, right? And they had asked me to be the, the first speaker of, of the group. And so, so I had something prepared, actually. And then it changed, obviously, because of the circumstances, a little bit, not much. And so they sent a cameraman to the, these people's home, um, and, you know, he was really a very experienced guy, and he set up all the lights and then, you know, shot the thing, and, you know, and, and as they're preparing it, the, the host, the, uh, the, the woman who was the host, now imagine another amazing thing. They had just gotten back from Israel. Can you imagine, they just landed from Israel, and they were told, well, can you put up this guy, you know, and they were like, yeah, sure, you know. And so, as they're setting up the cameras, the, the woman says to me, you know, this used to be, where you're staying, this place, this used to be Sigmund Freud's home. <laughs> now, you have to understand something. My, my dad was a uh, psychologist, right? Practicing psychologist for 50 years. And he saw patients in our home. That's where he had his office. Um, and as I walked in, in the front room of our house, there was a picture of Sigmund Freud. So I grew up with, like, this picture of Sigmund Freud. And now, listen to this. This is even crazier. The last trip that I had made to London was about four years before, and someone was driving me through this neighborhood, and they said to me, oh, you know, that we were on the main road. And they said, he, the person said, oh, Sigmund Freud used to live somewhere around here. And I said, I'd like to go there. And that was the only historical place that they mentioned that I was interested in going. Right? So, God listens, right? <laughs> so, 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 so there I am, and then we, we, we record the thing, and, uh, and then it's like now an hour before Shabbos, and the, the hostess says to me, you know, um, you know, is there anything you need? Any, anything else you need? And I was like, yeah, white socks and underwear. <laughs> you know, because that's just, I just tell you, you know, I, I learned there's a, a, a minig, a custom, which is that you wear four white garments, which correlate with the name of Hashem, the Yud Vavke, And that's just something you do on Shabbos, I guess you can, as far as I know, I never looked into it carefully. It went, however you count the four, if you want, it's a custom, it's not a law or anything like that. But I took that on, you know, a, lo a long time ago. And I was like, and again, here, here's this woman. She's like living in Sigmund Freud's house. They've just gotten a ride back from Israel. Shabbos is in, a, in an hour. Amen. And I'm asking for, you know, white socks and underwear. And I'm not, I don't want to borrow them. I want to get them. And she, what, what's her reaction? Hop in the car. Let's go. You know, amazing, you know? So we went to Marks and Spencer, which is like the big department store there. Got it. She said, I'll wait in the car. You go. And came back. So that night, so I was ready for Shabbos. And then that night was um, this really amazing dinner, this, this group of international, like, young professionals in their 20s and uh, 30s, uh, really lively, amazing group. Uh, British, French, just all, all sorts of Europeans. And, um, you know, I, I spoke for the group, and then 
people were like so like like their hearts I felt like had really opened up you know and so I said listen um you know I just wanted to go with the energy so I was like okay listen after dinner I'm gonna we'll have a shear we'll have a class and anyone who wants to come we'll we'll learn some more Torah we'll just try to go deeper you know and it's like you know a group stayed and we were able to kind of to 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 say some more things and then the next day uh the next day um i i went and and i uh you know i, I spoke again and then then comes after shabbos I, i'll tell you one more thing um there there's a series of blessings it's called v'yiten lecha it's about um four pages in the sitter it's kind of long to say but after a period of time you can you can go through it more quickly but but basically the idea is um uh it's one of those hidden treasure chests in the sitter that if you don't if you if you're not alerted to it you might not know exists and basically what it is is it's a, it's a, it's a series of greatest hits from from all of Tanakh from the entire Torah which lists basically all of the blessings and all the highlights that God promises us that he's going to give us and the tradition is to say it after Shabbos right after Shabbos and i saw the um the Rimenover Rebbe again to mention his name the Rimenover Rebbe says i don't know how any jew has parnosa which means livelihood cash right who doesn't say this right so obviously it's a it's a blessing for livelihood as well and again it's wonderful to read because you just read it it's just verse after verse after verse of just god promising you just every beautiful thing and there's one because there's a, there's a bunch of things that mention king david right and um my name is david so whenever i see david i my eyes always you know open a little wider because you're saying it's saturday night which is the time of king david that's where you have a malava malka the feast of king david and everything like that so that's why i think his name is um highlighted especially at the end um and there's one verse that says and god made david successful in all of his ways right and that that verse for obvious reasons always has special meaning to me you know and um and as i was saying it saturday night um in london really not knowing what was going to happen because i didn't know what was going to happen with the rest of the trip okay the london part thank god had been successful but what about the whole purpose of the trip what about johannesburg you know and i read it and i i read it in hebrew and i it says the word derachav and in english they translated it as and god made david successful in all of his ways but derachav means in all of his travels and so i thought oh wow in all of his travels and the first word of that verse is vayehi and we've gone over this before but let me just tell you again just in case you don't remember um vayehi and vahaya are two words that begin many verses in 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 the torah and the gomora says that when you have vahaya that that portends something very positive is going to happen right that's good stuff when you have vayehi at the beginning of a verse that means you know 
be careful, basically, like, not so much, right? Something not positive, okay? And the Gomorrah gives lots of different examples. It's in Gomorrah Megillah, if you want to look it up. So, so, vaya, so, so, Vayahi and Vahaya, I was looking at those two words one time, and I did this little analysis, I'm going to tell you. What's really interesting about both of those words is that they both have all the letters of Hashem's name. They, they have Yud and He and Vav. But there's a difference between the two of them. The one that is positive, Vahaya, has the exact letters of Hashem's name, just arranged differently, right? Vayahi has the letters of Hashem's name, but with one big difference. In Hashem's name, Yud and He and Vav and He, you have two He's. In Vayahi, you have two Yuds and only one He. Now, why is that significant? And again, that's something that portends something negative. So why, why is that? And yet we know everything from God is good. So how is this working? So I learned from Reb Shlomo that the letter He means a vessel. And you know that the letter Yud, especially when we're talking about the name of Hashem, the Yud Ke Vav Ke, the Yud is the first letter, it's the highest point of light, right? So now in Vayahi, what you have is two unbelievable, two Yuds, two unbelievable beacons of light, and only one He, only one vessel. Normally speaking, you have two vessels, two He's, to hold the one Yud. Here you have two yuds and only one hey. So why and that's associated with something negative. And yet we know everything that emanates from God is good. So the point is is that when we experience and we shouldn't experience, but if we experience something negative in life, basically what that means is we don't have the vessels at that moment to hold the energy that's coming down. Right? So when I saw this verse that God made David successful in all, now I understood it said travels, but it started with this word vayahi, and I understood at that point, wow, something's happening, success is coming down in its own way, but I don't have the vessels to hold the light right now. Now, I'm telling you this for a few reasons. One, because just to report what happened, but two, but I'm showing you how to use Torah in your life. Do you understand? This is, this is, because we say, again, Torah Chaim, that it's a Torah of life. Anyone who treats these teachings, or any teachings, or approaches Torah as an intellectual discipline is missing absolutely everything. You have to understand that the Torah is the fabric of life itself. It says God looked into the Torah and created reality. We're, amid, we're, we're, we're swimming in Torah. So when you look into the Torah, this is, this is something where you draw your life sustenance from. And God is talking to you through the Torah. Now, okay, that means you also have, have to have eyes to see it, right? You have to have eyes to see it. By the way, just to give you one more PS on the trip, I, I was able to uh, Shabbos morning daven at uh, uh, the former chief rabbi Jonathan Sachs's congregation, and he was there, and I heard him speak, and he spoke amazingly. And they gave me an aliyah, and the aliyah that I got, which I virtually never get, I can count on one hand or a couple of fingers the, the number of times I've gotten this aliyah. I'm a levy, so that means I can really basically just get the second aliyah, or to lift the Torah, or, or, or wrap it up. But there is something called achron, 
Achron is something where they create more aliyahs. Sometimes if there's a simcha, like a, an afruf or a, a bar mitzvah or something like that, and there are a lot of guests who came in from out of town, they create new aliyahs. Because basically, as long as you read three verses, three psukim, that's all you're required to read. And then you can create another aliyah so that everyone is properly honored if you want to honor guests, right? And then, and then those become achron after, after the seventh aliyah. So they gave me, because I couldn't get Levi, because I was still in the middle of davening, they, they created an achron for me, which was very nice. Now, achron of that parsha, and by the way, what parsha was it? It was the parsha of the spies, which is all about going out on a trip, right? And the whole thing is that you have to see good things, right? The whole point of the spies is that they were just seeing reality on a very, very superficial level. And interestingly, the Parsha begins with the sending out of the spies, and one of the many methodologies of understanding the Parsha and everything like that is to link the beginning of the Parsha to the end of the Parsha. That's one technique of learning Torah. And it works very beautifully in Parsha Shlach, very, um, in an openly revealed way, because the Parsha ends with the mitzvah of tzitzis. And tzitzis is all about looking at the tzitzis and fixing your eyes, basically, remembering Hashem, okay? So, so when you go out on your journey, you have to have good eyes. And so it was just interesting that that was the aliyah that I got. That was the portion that I got. And it was this extra sign that, that's very meaningful because it was done in a very unusual way that I got that. So it was just a reminder to me, just try to continue to see the good along the way, you know? Okay, so, so I get into the car after, after Shabbos, and like I say, Shabbos goes out at 10.30 there. Just to tell you how long it is, when I, when I went to the JLE to the, for Mincha, you know, there were like the base medrash that was like filled with people learning because, you know, it's a really long day, it's a really long Shabbos. And then they had Mincha, and then they had Shalashudas. And then they had a class after Shabbos and then they had Marv. So this is like Shabbos is long. Okay. So I, as I as I'm as I'm driving to um, as I'm driving to uh, where I'm staying now Saturday night. Okay. So I was there for three nights and I stayed in three different places. Okay. As I'm staying with my host for Saturday night, we get a call from South Africa, and it was sort of like, okay, so what's going on? So I was like, did you get the video presentation? And they're like, oh yeah, we got it. It's like, well, um, I wasn't even sure they were going to show it. You know, like, like they'd look at it and go like, eh, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry. You know, and it's like, uh, well, did you show it? You know, and they were like, yeah, 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 we showed it, we showed it. And then I'm so used to like, you know, with all the technology out there, it's like, try getting it to work. You know what I mean? It's like, did it? work? I mean, was it clear? You know, it's like, yeah, it was shot in HD and this, the monitor's in HD, so it was like really clear. And then I asked the question that I, I wanted to ask to the beginning, but I was too afraid to ask. I was like, did they like it? <laughs> you know? it was like, they were like, they loved it. And I was like, oh, thank God, you know. And then they said, okay, so now you're about to be dropped off at your host and He's got this whole video conferencing thing, and we're going to hook you up for Skype for all the Johannesburg talks. And, you know, and this person was unbelievable. This person, 
He stepped me through every, he was by my side. There were three talks in Johannesburg. He was there every step of the way, hooking everything up. We went to his office and then he found an even better monitor and then we found that and that was even better reception. And and so it was crazy because the main talk that I gave was I was in his office and we put on this like iMac type monitor. So like, you know, one of the larger computer screens on this little stand, I'm alone in the office talking to this computer and there are over a thousand people there, you know? And it's like the, 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 the talk has you know, a lot of sort of like humorous stories in it and things like that. And, you know, in, the, in different places where I've given it, you know, people laugh, you know, usually. <laughs> you know, hopefully. <laughs> and it's like I have no idea, like, whether they're laughing or not. But I, there was one person who I could see, and because there was a delay, like, about two seconds after the joke, I could see he would sort of bend over. <laughs> and I... I knew that that was a laugh, so I was like, he was my guide, whether any of this stuff was playing or not, you know? But then I heard from someone else who had been at the conference that the laughter was actually so loud that people in the hallways were coming into the talk, you know? So, and then we, we, you know, obviously gave over, you know, part of that talk is is something that I sort of like realized after the fact was is sort of like a crash course in monotheism. <laughs> so, you know, that's sort of part of the life story thing, you know, to give that over. So wrap it all up in one package. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, so thank God. So the talks went really, really well. And, um, and then, um, then it was time to, uh, then it was time to, to, to leave. And, uh, like I say, the, the, the host and, and the, the family were really unbelievable. They, they couldn't have been nicer. And they put me in a cab. Now this is now Sunday night, right? To Cape Town. And, and, and I mean, the host was so amazing. Not only was he like engineering each of the talks and telling me when the next one was and just kind of trying to keep me in the proper headspace. I was also trying to find my luggage which was, I, I thought, in, in, uh, in Johannesburg, because it had been checked through to Johannesburg in Los Angeles. Oh, but wait, you want to hear something far out? Listen to this. Listen to this. I forgot to tell you this part. When I checked in, when I checked in, in Los Angeles, right? This is when everything was going smoothly still. When I, was, when I checked in in Los Angeles for Johannesburg, the woman who's checking me in at LAX, she, I give her my my uh, in my name and my passport. And, you know, she's typing, you know, you've all had that experience, they're typing, they're typing. And then she kind of stops and she types some more and then she sort of stops and then she types some more and she has this weird look on her face and then she takes out a pen and she looks at her screen and she writes down like this 10-digit number and then types that in and then she stops and she looks it down at the 10-digit number again and she types it in again and I'm thinking, something's wrong with my ticket. Right. Something's wrong. And so I said, you know, is everything okay? And then she hit one more button, and then she had a smile, and then the, you heard the sound of the computer printing, and she said, yeah, everything's fine. And then she looks at me and she says, she says, I was having the hardest time with your connecting flight. Mm. Right? That's the flight that I missed. Mm. But it was the right ticket. 
but it was like a sign. Mm. I didn't I didn't know it at the time, but in retrospect, mm. it was this sign basically that you know something's going on, you know. But anyway, so so my host puts me in the cab and he says um, he just smiles at me and he says it's it's taken care of. He paid for it, which was like so nice, you know. And I get to the airport, and, and like I say, he was so amazing, he even filled out my lost baggage form for me. Now, th- these forms are like, these are like my kryptonite, these type of forms, because it's like, I think actually most things are my form of kryptonite, to be honest with you. But, but this is like this special super kryptonite, you know, because it's sort of like, what was your previous flight number and, you know, like the most, like the type of questions that like just short circuit my brain, you know, that I just, I, I just, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know, you know, and, and I was giving him numbers and he was just so patient. He was like, do you have any other numbers, anything else that might, you know, and he finally able was able to do that, which was like a huge thing that, that would have just messed me up hugely. And then I got to the airport extra early because I had to figure out where my bag was. And then I got this amazing, like as horrible as the person who wouldn't let me on the flight was originally, this person was the opposite. And she was like, um, you know, let's see, your bag is not in Johannesburg because for security reasons, they never check you your bag on a flight that you're not on for obvious reasons, right? So she's like, and I'm like, you know what? I don't, because I was thinking that it was in Johannesburg the whole time. She's like, no, 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 I'm telling you, it's in Heathrow. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that makes sense. I think you're right. I think it is in Heathrow. And she's calling up all these different places, you know, because they've got like this underground crypt where they, <laughs> where they keep like these things. And she calls up and rattles off a number and the guy's like, no, the bag's not here. And then she keeps on calling different places. And then finally they double her back to the original place and someone else picks up and she reads the number again and they say, here it is. And it was like, oh, wow. And then she said, okay, and then, you know, did some more typing, and she says, okay, that bag is going on your flight now to Cape Town. But double-check with the person when you board that it's on the flight. And I'm like, okay. So now I'm boarding the flight, and I say to the person, they have, like, this extra check-in person, like, right before you enter the physical plane itself, which is strange. Like, normally I'm just used to the one at the gate, this is one like right at the plane now who's got a computer terminal. So I said, you know, is my bag on the flight? And he checks and goes, yes, it's on the flight. And I had this amazing sensation at that point, which was that time had started again. Like this entire trip to London, it's like time had stopped. And now it's like, we're back in. You know, it was weird. It was weird. And I got on the flight, and now it was like, okay, so, you know, I'm sitting on the flight, and it was like, okay, now what am I doing again? I'm flying for 11 hours to give, like, like a couple of talks, and then getting on the flight right back again, because I was landing at 10 a.m., and then leaving at 7 p.m. for a 22-hour-plus flight? Like, and I'm just, like, my head is spinning. And I'm like, 
what am I doing? What, 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 is, what is this? What, what's going on? And then I was like, just, I don't even know why I was thinking this, but just as a, like as a meditation almost, I was just trying to think every step of the way, like what, what had been happening and what was happening, because every step of the way, like, just things were happening, like you, new unique happenings in my life were just happening, you know? I was just trying to remember, and I was like, okay. And then I went to those people's houses. And then that morning I went to Minyan. And then the rabbi said something. And then I said, what did the rabbi say? And I was like, oh, I have no idea, you know? He spoke for like a couple minutes, you know? And then I was like, think, think, what did the rabbi say? I was like, I don't know. Okay, let's see, he was saying over some Mishnayas from Megillah. He was saying over the law that a deaf person can't read the Megillah for the congregation because in order to yotze, in order to make the congregation fulfill its uh, obligation, he has to be able to hear his own words that he's saying. So a deaf person can't hear what he's saying, so he can't read the Megillah. And when I heard it, I thought, this is, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with my situation? This is completely esoteric. And then I thought to myself, oh my goodness, what are you doing? You're talking about God's love. You're talking about the oneness of God. You're talking about the goodness of God. And you can't even hear your own words? You can't even hear the own words that you're saying? So what good is all of it? And then at that point, I was like, okay, God's one, God is good. And I felt better, you know? I was like, that was such a strong message, you know? And again, Torah Chaim, the Torah of life, right? So, so I make it down to Cape Town, and as I get out of the uh, airplane into the lobby area, there's my son waiting for me with a cup of coffee. (laughs) And I just, you know, I just wanted a breakdown crying, you know. I was just, ah, so happy to see you. I'm so happy to see you, you know. And he had been having a good time. He went on a lion safari. (laughs) I was like, you know, everything like this. And, you know, like I said, he had been down there early. and, And so he was having a very great experience. And so we went from there to the hotel, you know, uh, Shlomo Katz, Rabbi Shlomo Katz was part of the, uh, the whole conference and, you know, we gave each other a super long hug when we saw each other and um, put down my bag, I davened, did my talks, and then it was back on the airplane, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, so that's the story. Yeah. The wheelchair. Yeah. So, yeah. So and and I had some amazing uh, encounters with some individuals too, which I don't want to say over publicly so much, but um, but but yeah. Uh, you know, Reb Shlomo would would often say, uh, 
Actually, he would say it all the time. What do we know? What do we know? What do we know? What do we know? And um, it, I'll say it too. What do we know? You know, this trip, which really seemed like seemed like it was just going to end in just flame out and, and end in just absolute personal ruination, you know, like turned out to be two trips, not one trip. And I ended up reaching a, a lot more people and meeting unbelievable people and, and uh, still somehow being able to be somehow in two places at once somehow. And it seemed like I felt like such a sense of total rejection from God, you know, because it, it seemed like, you know, God just didn't want what I, whatever it is I had to offer, just wasn't interested. And then it seemed like, no, actually, there's more that's wanted, you know. Um, and... Uh, And don't give up. Don't give up. Because we're still in the middle of the story. Everyone in our own personal lives, you're in the middle of your own story. And you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. And um, something we talk about, Kecherev Ayan. Hope I'm pronouncing that properly, which means that salvation can happen in the wink of an eye, in the wink of an eye. And um, you know, there's a famous uh, Rebbe Nachman story, which is about um, two people who were destitute. They were begging for food and lodging and things like that. One was Jewish, one wasn't Jewish. And they were hanging out together, and the Jew says to the non-Jew, you know something, tonight you're in luck, because tonight it's Pesach. And tonight you're going to, you know, hopefully you'll get housed and go to a, a Seder, and you're going to have an unbelievable meal tonight. So this is really good. And so the next day, they, they see each other. He goes, huh? You know, was I right? He goes, no, no, you weren't right. He goes, I showed up at the table, and they didn't serve any food for the longest time, and then, like, they gave us, like, a little bit of parsley, you know? And then they gave us these bitter herbs, which tasted absolutely horrible. And at that point, I said, you people are crazy, and I, I ran out. And the Jew says back to him, if you only had stayed a little bit longer, you, you don't even know what you missed. So, you know, we talk about giving each other the benefit of the doubt, and, and not giving up on each other. But I would just add, let's also not give up on ourselves, and let's not give up on God. Right? Because um, God is telling stories, and God is also telling stories through our lives. Each one of our lives is a story that God is telling. And you get to somehow co-write this story, which is incredible. So what kind of story do you want to tell with your life? You know? I mean, I met someone 
who was really suffering. They were suffering. They were really suffering. And they were telling me really every horrible thing that was happening to them. They had been afflicted with a disease and confined to a wheelchair and they were suffering. And it was a very painful emotional conversation. And then they started saying to me, but what about everything that's going right in my life? (laughs) What about the fact that I have this wheelchair? What about the fact that I'm going to get an even better one? What about the fact that my mother is taking unbelievable care for me? What, What about all of the things that I don't even know about that God is doing for me, that I'm not even aware of? So, if that's true for them, it's true for all of us. And let's just um, see good things, right? And and hear and hear the things that we're saying, right? Like hear it both ways. Like, you know, I remember I was once walking down the street in in Manhattan, and I saw this woman, and she was walking arm in arm with this guy. And the guy was saying something, I don't know, I was walking toward them, they were, you know, they were kind of, I was walking toward them, they were walking in the opposite direction, right? But whatever he was saying, she was loving it, you know? And, you know, and then they walked by me. But I'll never forget the expression on her face or what the thought was in my head as I walked by them, which was, I was thinking, whatever he was saying, that's good radio. Like, he's like, whatever he's broadcasting at that moment... He's, he's saying something good, you know, because she's into it, you know? And it's like, it's like, you know, let's be good radio, you know, because we can also be bad radio, you know? And like, do you want to be like the person who's just broadcasting complaints? Right? Just hear what you're saying. Hear what you're saying. And if you are saying good things, and God willing, we're all saying good things, then like me, like... Like, make sure that you're hearing what you're actually saying. You know? Right? That your mouth is connected to your ears. So that you, so that you believe what you believe. You've got to believe what you believe. Right? Believing is just the first step. Then you've got to believe what you believe. Right? You know? Okay. Well, yeah.